But if you have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to turn there, I'm going to be taking some scripture out of the book of 2 Kings in uh, chapter 4. And uh, I was reading this morning and uh, I was actually reading somewhere else in the Bible and this scripture kind of just kept coming up before me. And it's, it's 2 Kings 4 and we'll start reading at verse 1. And I've thought a lot about this lately. This is, you know, this is essentially the retelling or the telling of uh, Elisha when he comes to a widow whose sons are getting ready to be sold into slavery. And uh, of course, you know, there's a Mother's Day sermon in there. I'm sure there's there's all manner of sermons, but but most importantly, we need to trust in the provision of God. And uh, I was actually reading in John chapter two when you know all this. Uh, coming up before me and I was thinking about when it was that Jesus uh, he performed the miracle there in Cana of Galilee when that he turned the water into wine and everything and how that that God has control over nature itself how that he's able to take the things that we look at something you know and, and I'll be honest a person person having studied chemistry and physics and I can tell you uh, that the types of things that happened don't happen there's no way to get it done, at least with our present level of technology, but Jesus had dominion over nature and everything itself. And here when we read about Elisha, we find that he encounters somebody who has a need and she brings it before God. And it's an urgent need and she brings it before Elisha and she makes her request and then she waits on the Lord. And how easy it is though when we see circumstances turn against us that we panic or we try to take care of things ourselves. and how a lot of times before we really ever turn it over to God is when that we have done everything that we can do and then we resort to God. And that's an easy thing to fall into. And and I'm not saying don't try to solve your own problems. But what I am saying is look to God first uh, before you ever make your first step. Everything for the Christian should begin with prayer. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a five-minute trip to the grocery store. Uh, If it's a trip across country, you're getting on an airplane flying to the other side of the planet. You're going into outer space. God has dominion over all of those things. Uh, And that this Shunammite widow, I'm sorry, not the Shunammite widow, but this widow, uh, uh, when she seeks out Elisha, uh, uh, that she is in dire straits. uh, And so she's not careful about making a request to him. And we'll start reading at verse 1 in 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons, to be bondmen. Now this is in accordance with the law established all the way back in Exodus, I believe chapter 21, in which that it was that uh, if there was a debt owed, it wasn't as though those sons were going to be slaves for the rest of their life, uh, but they were going to have to work for a period of seven years uh, to pay off the father's debt. Uh, Now the critic of the Bible would look around and say, why is this person worthy of this miracle? When they run out, they racked up a debt, they messed up and they made a mistake, and why should God provide for them? 
But I think the real question is, is why are you so without mercy? Why do we find ourselves looking at somebody else in a bad situation and begin to question why God would bless them or help them? And I can tell you that what was done here was not wrong. This man was a son of one of the prophets in a time when there was wickedness in high places. That this was during the time of Jezebel. When it was that just a few chapters before in 1 Kings that you find a man by the name of Elijah uh, uh, who was being threatened to be killed uh, for serving God uh, and God tells him look uh, I've got my number in Israel uh, uh, that have never bowed the knee to Baal uh, uh, that have never turned to these heathen gods uh, and I believe this is one of them uh, uh, that never bowed the knee uh, uh, that put God first in his life uh, and yes he went to his grave owing a debt uh, it may have been they started levying taxes uh, on anybody who would call upon the name of the Lord. And so he did what he had to do in order to pay. But the point is, is that this woman had a need and she comes to the man of God. She comes before God and she makes a request known. No different than what it says in the New Testament uh, there in Philippians where it says make your request known unto God. Uh, uh, just come right before Him uh, with all prayer and thanksgiving uh, and supplication. Come to Him uh, and He'll hear your prayer uh, uh, and He'll help you. You know, it may not be in the way in which that we think. You know, He could have said, well here, and reach into His pocket, pulled out money, how much? And counted it out. And and he may have even had it. I doubt it. But even if he had it, that wouldn't have been a big a deal as what happened. And a lot of times in our lives, it's just like Daniel with the den of lions. That they tried every way they could to figure out how for him to not go in there. But the real miracle was him having gone in there. And then his God, whom he diligently served, bringing him back out. That a lot of times we want to avoid the tribulation. When God says you'll get closer to me through the tribulation. Than you'll ever be without it. And so Elisha now finds himself. She's made a request. She said, you know my husband feared God. Uh, and he served him diligently. Uh, and now here we are. Uh, and this widow, if she lost her sons, uh, she was essentially without means to take care of herself uh, and to be provided for. Uh, and there's one thing in the New Testament that you can see repeated uh, throughout the book of Acts uh, is them taking care of widows. Uh, and they said, now it falls first to her family. Uh, and if her family won't do it then it falls to the church Uh, uh, and that's exactly uh, what's going on here is that her sons are willing to take care of her but there's a debt owed that they can't pay and church let me tell you something the moment that we get scornful of anybody that owes a debt they can't pay we need to remember a debt that we owed that we can't pay uh, that Jesus Christ paid on our behalf uh, when he went to Calvary in blood and agony uh, and he paid our way uh, when we couldn't do it we looked around and began to realize true conviction uh, is realizing I owe a debt uh, and I didn't even realize it to begin with uh, and you cast about uh, look left and right and say how Am I going to pay this debt? And then you find Jesus. And he tells you, I paid it all. And all you have to do is take up your cross and follow me. And so this woman now, she's in a bad spot. And Elijah 
or Elisha doesn't sit down and say, well, let me uh, figure this out. Let me make some calls. Uh, uh, but rather, he has a plan for it. Uh, and God backs his word. When a man follows as closely as Elijah and Elisha did, uh, and you remember Elisha, he asked, uh, when Elijah was getting ready to die, he asked Elijah, he said, uh, uh, ask God for a double portion of what you've got. Uh, ask it to be given to me. Uh, and Elijah said, this is no small thing. Uh, but if it takes place and you see me taken, uh, uh, then God will have answered your prayer. Uh, and so he stands there before her in confidence, not in himself, but in the God that he serves. And notice what he says to her. He says, Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, and borrow not a few. Uh, now I'll tell you, church, uh, uh, that, that what we need to understand uh, is that when we come expecting of God uh, to not just expect a little bit uh, or to barely get by, uh, and I'm not talking about monetary gain, uh, but what I'm talking about is what Jesus said when He said, Ask, uh, and it shall be given to you. Uh, seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. And then he said who of you uh, uh, that would have a son if he asked of a fish uh, would you give him a stone? And he said how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to them that would ask him? Uh, and then you, if you have any inkling you'll notice uh, in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit uh, is represented by oil. That when David was anointed to be the next king, it said uh, that Samuel took and unkept that horn of oil in front of his father and his brothers and dumped it over him. Uh, he stood there drenched head to toe uh, in oil being sanctified by the Holy Spirit uh, before his father and brethren and most importantly before the Most High God uh, uh, set aside. And so Elisha told her, he said, look, uh, swing for the fences. Uh, ask for it all. Uh, don't just ask for a little bit. Uh, he said, don't just go and borrow a couple of things. Borrow as much as you can. And you'll notice borrowing is what got him in trouble to begin with. They owed a debt. And he said, just go and borrow some vessels. Empty vessels. And you know, I, I can't help but notice that a lot of times before somebody is ever really able to be used of God, they need to be emptied out of everything else first. They need to be ready to receive the blessings of God. They need to be ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times what we need to do is we need to dump what's in the cup out that the Holy Spirit may come in our lives and begin to fill us up. But a lot of times we've got stuff in the cup that shouldn't be in there. And we're not cleaning it out. And we're not getting it ready. We're not setting it aside for the use of the Most High God. And so Elisha told her, he said, you go and borrow these things and don't borrow a few. And he didn't tell her what he was going to do he just said go and do this and notice he goes on and it says and when thou art i'm sorry uh, verse four and when thou art come in thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full i've skipped verse two let me back up and read verse two it says, And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me 
what thou hast in thine house. And she said, Thine handmaiden hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. That was all that she had. And oil was a very valuable commodity. It continues to be so today. And so she had that. And he told her, Go get these vessels. And then he tells her, When you go in, shut the door. And you and your sons go in there. And you begin to pour out of your thing of oil into those other vessels. And God can take that which can't be multiplied and multiplied and make it greater and exceed every expectation that we would ever have. But a lot of times when we get down and pray, we'll pray for the symptom rather than the problem. We'll ask for a little bit when God says, I'll give it all to you. I can't help but think about uh, King Saul. You know that Saul, uh, after that he had sinned against God uh, and didn't carry out God's judgment against the Amalekites, uh, one of the things that Samuel tells him is he says, God was willing to establish your kingdom forever. He wanted to establish you forever, but you rejected His commandments. You turned away. You walked not with Him. And now God has taken the kingdom from you and given it to somebody else. That a lot of times when we're told to ask and to knock and to seek and, to, and all of these things that we need to remember to ask for it all. Not just a little bit. Not just, I just want barely enough to get by for today. Now God provides that as well. But He also will give us everything we need. And so He, he instructs her to do this. And he says, verse 4 says, When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all, thy, all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. And he says, you're going to fill those vessels up with that pot of oil. Now she could have looked around and said, I don't really see how that's going to happen. Because the pot that I have is not full. But as she began to pour... And she poured in and filled one up. And maybe she looked down in it. Uh, and well, there's still some. And she filled up another. And she looked down in it and there's still some left. Uh, and, and she filled another. And kept doing it to the point to where that there was more. Uh, uh, than There was more poured out uh, than what she thought she had inside. Uh, let me tell you something. God knows what's in you. Uh, and when God begins to pour it out, uh, it'll be amazing to you. It'll be surprising to you uh, if we'll just turn it over to God and let him work because the real faith was in the fact that she did what Elisha told her to do that she went out she borrowed all the vessels she might have been saying uh, uh, well I don't know exactly how this is going to pan out but I know God's going to do something uh, and, and God's going to help us uh, and so she believed uh, maybe your sons believed too maybe they didn't uh, but I guarantee you they did after the fact uh, and it was their lives on the line and so they do just exactly as he tells them. And notice, in verse 5, it says, So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. In verse 6, And it came to pass when the vessels were full, then she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. That they filled every single vessel. You remember, Elisha told him, don't just get a couple. Don't ask for one or two. Ask for as many as you can get. And you think about now her 
substance and her sons, their lives depend on this. And I believe she looked at him in all seriousness and said, go, help me go and borrow all these vessels. And they, they weren't going to keep all of the vessels or anything like that. That's why it said they were borrowed. They were going to return them. But the valuable thing was what was in the vessel. The valuable thing about you is not this outward appearance, but what's inside of you. That's what we dedicate and consecrate unto God is the thing that's on the inside. And so they poured this out and they looked around in every vessel that they could find. And my overactive imagination conjures old milk jugs. Now I know they didn't have those back then, but imagine it happening today. Old milk jugs and old yogurt containers and things like that that we keep. Zip top bags. Maybe old Dollar General and Walmart bags. And they were every one full of oil. And they had them there and they're like, we got so much oil we don't hardly have a spot to put it anymore. And she kept pouring and pouring knowing where the oil was coming from. It wasn't coming from that pot. That pot was just a portal for the Most High God to work in her life. What is the portal in your life where God works? It ought to be in this Bible. It ought to be maybe through your cell phone screen. But most of all, it shouldn't just stay in you. But it should be poured out before the world. It should be put to use. This all wasn't just to be set aside so she could show her friends and family, look at all the oil that I've got. That it was a value, but it was only a value once it got out into the world. And that Holy Spirit, when He comes and He blesses you, He shouldn't just be, you shouldn't hide Him away. You shouldn't say, well, I've got the Spirit in my life, but that ain't for none of you heathens out there. But rather say, God, pour me out before them. Make me a value to them. In this day and time, I can tell you, if you hit an oil well, I believe everybody would end up finding out about that. When I was reading this, Earlier today, I was thinking about that uh, old TV show, The Beverly Hillbillies. The scene where that he's a shooting at a rabbit and hits right in the ground and oil comes bubbling up. And next thing you know, Jed's a millionaire. Uh, and I think about this woman, next thing you know, uh, uh, she's got everything she needs. Uh, uh, because you'll notice how this ends up. And it says in verse 7, Then she came and told the man of God, And he said, go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt. But that's not the whole verse, is it? You see, she asked that her sons not end up in bondage. That's all she asked for. But she trusted God. And you know, God is well able to exceed expectations. She was out from under. She knew. She probably looked around and said, well, this ought to be enough oil that if we need to, we can trade it. For my two sons. But then he says, And live thou and thy children of the rest. She not only had enough to not end up in bondage, but she had enough to pay for the future and to secure them to be able to live during a time when it was difficult for children of the Most High God to live in a land where wickedness abounds and there had been a drought and there had been times of scarcity. And brothers and sisters, stop me if you've heard this, but rampant inflation and uncertainty in the economic times and God provided and said, you know what? That oil will take care of you 
Not just today, but tomorrow and the next day. When is the last time that we've trusted God? Uh, uh, Not only for today, but for tomorrow. Uh, I hope you're trusting Him for today. Uh, When you get out of bed, uh, uh, when you set your feet on the ground and understand you can still feel your feet uh, and your legs are still moving uh, and you say, God, I trust You uh, uh, to maintain this body system uh, uh, for today uh, and I'll count on You for tomorrow if I make it there and You don't call me home. Before then. Because this ended way better than she possibly could have thought. You imagine what might have been in her mind when she came and said, well, maybe the debtor will die. And then we'll know the debt. Well, debt gets transferred. And you'll notice she wasn't the one racked up the debt. It was her husband. But her sons were about to pay. And she comes before the man of God And she asks, he tells her, she executes the plan. Real faith is in the steps we take. Real belief is when we do something, not just when we say something. And this flies right in the face of a lot of Christians who'd say, well, I'll pray for him, but that's about all I can spare. Because what Elisha said is he didn't just say, I'll pray for you. You know, go home and, 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 and be full and be warm in your bed. He said, here's the plan, but you have to execute it. He didn't help her with the plan, now he could have. He wasn't there encouraging her all the way, but he told her, put your faith in God. He told her exactly what to do, and the real faith was when she did it. No different than Naaman when he went down into the river Jordan and dipped seven times. Even after that, Elijah had told him that. He's like, the river Jordan is pathetic compared to the, the rivers of my homeland. Why would I do that? And finally, one of his men told him, said, hey, if he'd asked you to kill a thousand lions, wouldn't you have done it? If he'd asked you to climb to the highest peak of the tallest mountain, wouldn't you have done that? He's asking you to go and dip seven times in a river that we're already near to. It's not even a long journey from here because Naaman's faith was in just going out to see him. Because he'd heard about a God in Israel and that young Israelite maiden told him, there's a man, if you can get to him, uh, uh, he'll tell you what to do and God will make sure it works. And this same woman, she come in the same manner. She asked for help. And a lot of times we ask God for help and then we're not, we don't run around looking for the opportunity where God's going to help. You see, she was blessed because of this. Beyond just her sons not being sold into bondage, but them to be able to live off of it in perpetuity. Not just for today, but for the days ahead. And this is a miracle akin to what Jesus did when He fed the 5,000 or the 4,000 in another place. In which that it was, took very little and multiplied it. And that's what God does in our lives is He multiplies He adds and multiplies. The devil likes to subtract and divide. But God adds and multiplies. And the only thing that God ever subtracts from us is our sin. And He does that through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. But the thing is, we've got to come and we've got to ask. You know, I've had people say, well, and, and, and this notion that runs around in the world, and that's even if somebody even believes that there is a God in heaven and that Jesus Christ is who He said He was, I think the people that are in the most dire straits is when they look around and they say, well, I don't think God would send me to hell. You know, I, I believe that Jesus lived. That's fine. There's lots of evidence to believe that Jesus lived. There's plenty. 
Especially if a person will look around to it. And I'm not saying that that's not important because obviously it is. But if they don't believe upon Him as the Son of God, as the man who was born of a virgin, came down into this world, lived a life without sin, uh, uh, had a ministry that lasted about three and a half years, uh, did all those miracles and all that, uh, but the most important thing to believe uh, uh, before all those others uh, is that He raised on the third day. Because if He didn't do that, then none of the rest of that stuff really matters much. And Jesus made it very plain. These miracles of this, uh, this sort, you know, and, and, and giving people substance and all these, these were special miracles. Moses was able to do miracles like this. When the Israelites got out into the wilderness and they needed food, uh, uh, Moses, uh, uh, he prayed to God and God gave him manna. Uh, he was able to provide them water from the rock. Uh, they were able to subsist on the things that God had for them. Uh, but I can tell you this, uh, uh, that if we don't put our full trust in the Lord, uh, those sorts of things really aren't going to matter a whole lot. And that's what essentially Jesus was saying. And He said, believe me for the very work's sake. For the things that I do. But most importantly, He had to go to the cross. He had to die for our sins so that we wouldn't just have the oil for today, but we would have it from now on. And you see, all I can say, you know, if I had to sum up this whole set of Scriptures, it would be borrow not a few. You expect God to exceed your expectations. Now, it sounds silly to say, but you always figure God's going to do more even than what you can possibly imagine. My friend and I, we all the time joke about some of the speeches that President Trump would get and how he would engage in balderdash and say, bigger than you can possibly imagine. It's huge and all of these things. But you see, that's our God. He's bigger than you can possibly imagine. He's huge. You might be able to imagine quite a bit, but you can't imagine the things that He has in store for those who are called according to His purpose, uh, for those that trust in Him. And a lot of times, though, when we get down and pray, have you ever noticed sometimes when you get down and pray, you're just a sad, sorry mess? But the Bible says to come boldly before the throne of grace. And to ask... Boldly. Why? Because He's our loving Father. And if we get before His throne, His ear is inclined to us. This woman asked, I could take you all the way back to the beginning of 1 Samuel, in which there's a woman by the name of Hannah. She's down praying. She meets Eli, the man of God. He thinks she's drunk and that she's just muttering to herself. And he kind of gets on to her and she says, I was praying. And he says, well then, whatever you were praying about, let it be done. And she never told Eli what she was praying about. But it says that God blessed her. And while she was praying, we had the benefit of hindsight being 2020. That while she's praying, see, she had no children. She wanted to provide a son for her husband whom she loved dearly. And he loved her dearly. And when she prayed, she said, God, you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And I can tell you that when a person turns over everything to the Lord, how blessed is the world? Because Samuel was one of the greatest judges that ever lived. He was the first prophet and he began to lead Israel. Uh, uh, he began to do great things for them. Uh, when a person turns over fully to God, uh, how that they are not only blessed, uh, but how they can be a blessing. Uh, and the most important thing in our lives shouldn't be whether or not we get blessed, but whether or not we do 
the blessing that this woman, she could have taken all this and hoarded it up and not helped anybody else. She could have been worried and saying, well, now I've got to scrimp and save because I don't know if this oil is going to last. Or she could have looked around and said, you know what? I've been short of money before and God's provided. He'll provide for me again. No, she wasn't stupid, but she also wasn't worried. Because there's a proverb that says, no man looking to the sky ever plants his field. Worried about whether or not it's going to rain. He plants his field and counts on God. You do what you can and then you count on God. As I think about, you know, there in uh, John chapter 2 when Jesus went to that wedding and uh, that marriage ceremony and how important that it was that Jesus was there. That He took water pots and He turned them into to wine. And it would have been to the embarrassment of the wedding party had they run out of wine. And that was, that was an issue for them. But I'll tell you, the most important attendee at any wedding... And I've told this to every person that I've ever performed their ceremony. The most important attendee is Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because if a person uh, uh, goes to get married and they go go all in and, and put their faith in this other person, they better hope that Jesus Christ is right there in the mix. Or I guarantee that the things of this world won't allow it to last. But you see, whenever that you found yourself upon the rock of the Most High God, the gates of hell, can't prevail against it cannot my own father told me this not long before I got married and he told me he said son I know you're not a believer he said but you better hope that God honors your marriage he said because if he don't it won't last and he was right because there have been times you know in every marriage I think anybody that's ever been married knows this there's always a good excuse to walk away there's always a reason to quit A valid and legitimate response or an excuse or whatever you want to call it. But those that hang in, they hang in because they've made a vow. And they're saying within themselves, I've made a vow and I'll not break it before the Most High God. And I tell any young couple that stands before me, I tell them, look, it's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and break it. And it's a holy institution. And I can tell you this though, the biggest decision that anybody ever makes is whether or not to accept Christ into their life. That's more important than anything else. I remember right before Elijah was born, I had these big plans to start the college fund. Never got around to that. I wanted to uh, make it to where he would know at least two languages. Never did that. It was too lazy. Fell short. Didn't do it. But one of the things that I did do was I brought him before the Lord. Continually. Brought him before him so that when he's old and gray, that he'll not depart from it. That he'll hang in. He's seen me suffer. For the Lord's name's sake. He's seen me mess up. Seen me as a human being. Knowing that I'm not perfect. I've had to apologize to Him for leading Him wrong or telling Him wrong. Or misbehaving in front of Him. In hopes that when He gets older, He won't say, well, Dad did that and that was alright. No, Dad acknowledged that it was wrong. And that he needed to repent of it. That we need to not hold God as this weak, pathetic being that only wants our destruction because that's not the God I serve. The God I serve, He's a loving Father. And a loving Father wants to take care of His children. He wants to take care of you, but He won't force Himself on you. 
As a loving father, I can tell you, I have watched my children suffer, waiting and hoping they would ask me for help. And when they get to the point to where they can't handle anymore, when all their strength is gone, I'll step in a lot of times and tell them, look, you don't have to ever get in this shape again. Ask me for help. And I learned that. I learned a valuable lesson from that because God a lot of times has looked at me and said, Jeremiah, you don't have to get in this bad of shape before you ask me for help. And church, I tell you this this morning, you don't have to get in this bad of shape before you ask God for help. It seems like there's a spectrum. That certain things that fit between the extremes, that's what we pray about. Some things are too big. Or maybe some people say, well, there's nothing too big for God. And they'll pray for anything that's big, but then they'll say, ah, these little things I'm not going to bother God with. Why? And then there's some that limit God's power and say, oh, it's too big. It's cancer. It's a brain tumor. It's whatever issue you can think of that's the most difficult. It's too big. No. No, it's not. God can overcome nature itself. Because need I take you back into Genesis chapter 1 and show you what existed before God began to speak? The world was void, without form, and the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the deep. And He said, let there be light. And before there was anything, there was God. And so nothing in this world was created that wasn't created by Him because I need I take you to John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was made was made by the Word. Everything. We are followers of the Word of God. We are children of the Most High. We are followers of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. And we think there's anything too big for God. That, that we can't overcome because we can't. We can't see a way that God can't. You know, I had a couple weeks ago, Faith had an MRI. They thought she had a brain tumor. And uh, I remember when I was praying about it, worried, and as a parent, that's turmoil. And as I was praying, I said, God, I know you can make a way. And he brought back to my remembrance what they told me and Sister Crystal when Crystal was pregnant with Faith. And they said Crystal was pregnant in three places, in her ovary, in her fallopian tube, and in her uterus. And the one in her uterus was not viable. And at the time I had, I, I knew from context what that word meant. But I'd never really sat down and broken down. And I've learned a lot more Latin since then. And the word via, V-I-A, that means by way of, or the way. And we prayed and sought God during that time. It was a scary time. And I remember asking God to make a way for my unborn child. Didn't know it was a boy or a girl or anything else. And God brought me back to that moment and told me I'm the way. So there's a lot of things in our lives that we may encounter that we don't know the way. We don't know how to go forward. As a parent, I can tell you that I didn't know what was going to happen next from one day to the next. It was scary. As a husband, I didn't know what was going to happen from one day to the next. It was scary, but I knew the way. I still know the way. Do you? Do you know the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ? Because that's what He has 
for every single one of us. And we need to remind ourselves every day, He is the way. How are you going to get out of bed? He's the way. How are you going to go and work your job? He is the way. How are you going to finish college? He is the way. How are you going to live your life? He is the way. You may not know it, but you know Him. He's the way. This widow, she didn't know, but there was a way. And do you know Him? I ask everybody to stand and get a song.